Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 6, Episode 24. I'm Rick. I'm author of the Jesus Center Daily, which was released in October of last year. We're coming up on almost a year since it was released. Hard to fathom. During that year, what a tumultuous year, at least, well, for all of us, and layered on top of that, more tumult for me. I, I uh, left my longtime role at Group Publishing right at the start of the summer of last year uh, because of the pandemic hit that uh, clobbered group at the time. Many of us um, were laid off. And then in front of me was an open ocean. <laughs> what happens now? And just the grace and generosity and kindness of Jesus helped flow me uh, toward and then landed a, the, a role with uh, Vibrant Faith. Uh, I'm now the executive director of Vibrant Faith. It's a small ministry resourcing, research, and training organization that so well fits uh, my skills, but also offers challenges that come at the right time in the right place for me. So I'm now been executive director of Vibrant Faith for about 10 months. And meanwhile, I'm uh, continuing to record uh, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus episodes. I'm going to keep doing it as long as as I can uh, raise my feeble voice to do it. <laughs> so uh, in addition to the Jesus Center Daily, which came out last October, uh, in about a week, I have a new book coming out called The Suicide Solution. It's a book I wrote, uh, co-wrote with a psychologist named Dr. Daniel Imina. He uh, is the medical director at Amen Clinics, which was started in California by Dr. Daniel Amen and spread uh, to multiple locations throughout the country. And uh, they have a unique focus on uh, helping people understand brain health as opposed to mental health. And uh, it's a long story about how Daniel and I came to be partners in writing this book. But The Suicide Solution is all about uh, addressing the epidemic of depression, anxiety, and suicidality in our culture. It's an epidemic on top of an epidemic right now. It is about to become the leading killer of young people. It's about to surpass uh, uh, accidents um, as the number one killer of young people. And it's the number two uh, source of death for 18 to 34 year olds. And uh, th these numbers have only gotten worse during the pandemic. And it always has bothered me for years, actually, it's bothered me uh, that the conversation around suicide is always um, seems surface and reactionary to me. And the solutions that have been presented to help people um, off the path toward suicide have always seemed ineffectual to me. So I've spent years digging deeper into this and trying to understand how uh, the approach Jesus used with people 
fits for people who are struggling with depression and suicide. And then Daniel, uh, Amina, and I got partnered together, and together we explored the best practices of emerging research and clinical practice in psychology merged with the ways, the powerful ways that Jesus interacted with people to bring whole health and redemption to them. And the result of that is the suicide solution. So it comes out September 14th. It's available on Amazon and anywhere you get your books. Um, it's, it's published by Salem Books. So uh, in addition to that, the Amen Clinics is going to be letting people know about it. Um, so you're going to be hearing about it <laughs> probably uh, on your favorite uh, radio station um, and elsewhere. So I'm deep right now into doing radio interviews for it, and we're starting to get the word out about it. So please do go to Amazon or wherever you like to get your books and check out The Suicide Solution comes out soon. So this is the seventh episode in a series of podcasts that I've called The Harvest. And the idea here is that Again, is that fruit, all fruit comes from a tree and each tree produces a certain kind of fruit after its own kind, right? Well, Jesus has attached, uh, Jesus has invited us to attach to him like a branch in a tree um, or a branch in a vine. And when we do attach to him, we produce fruit after his own kind, meaning the two become one, that his life flows into our life and, and, uh, we, we end up looking a lot like him the more we attach to him. And what's interesting is that uh, Jesus is a different kind of fruit tree. Uh, he doesn't produce just one kind of fruit. He produces many, many kinds of fruit. So when we attach ourselves to him, we end up displaying all kinds of fruit that look a lot like the all kinds of fruit Jesus produces. So so uh, he's just not any ordinary fruit tree. So we're, what we're doing is we're exploring each of those fruit varieties and then tracking those fruits back to their source in the tree, who is Jesus. So, so let's launch into episode seven. And I want you to think about for a second, uh, just picture in your mind and your imagination, uh, maybe you have one in your home right now, a regular potted plant, a plant that you have that that is growing in soil. If you have one in your home, picture what that thing looks like right now. Got it? All right. Now I'd like you to picture what a display of cut flowers might look like. So in our home, we love flowers, cut flowers. And so we have, we have plants that are growing in soil, but we al almost always have cut flowers sitting in a, in a vase in water in our home. So just imagine what cut flowers sitting in a vase in water look like. Imagine that for a second. Now put the two together on one side of your brain is that plant growing in soil and the other side of your brain are those cut flowers in water. So when you consider these two types of, let's call them flower arrangements, what is the significant difference? So of course, the color of the flowers could be a difference and the type of flower could be a difference and all that sort of thing. But I think there's a more fundamental difference. One of those flower arrangements is planted in soil. Therefore, it has ongoing life as a possibility for it. Um, you know, uh, if you do things right, and I'm not saying I always do, 
if you do things right, those flowers planted in soil um, will, will live for many, many years. Um, but the flowers that are quote unquote planted in the water in that vase, they are not going to last for very long. And the, the real difference is, is what they are planted in, what they are attached to, meaning the, the potted plant is attached to the soil and the soil can uh, give it an ongoing source of life uh, while the cut flowers are attached only to the water. And uh, unless you're growing, a, unless you have a hydroponic farm, um, those things are not going to last. And even in a hydroponic farm, they, in, they put into the water some of the same things that soil typically provides. So our attachments make all the difference relative to our life. So what we really want is to attach to soil in our life that brings wholeness. So let's explore what that wholeness looks like when we are attached to Jesus. Um, and we're going to use this uh, lens of attachment today to explore why it's important to attach to the right things and detach from the wrong things. So we spent a lot of time hanging out with Jesus on this podcast, right? So if you think about the common reactions people had when they encountered Jesus, what words come to mind? Just the, when, when somebody met Jesus, um, whether they were friend or enemy, what are some of the common reactions that people had when they started engaging him? Um, uh, several weeks ago, um, I was every episode reminding you of a quote from Dr. Peter Kreeft, a Boston University professor and C.S. Lewis scholar, who answered this question in a way that has always struck me. He said, Christ changed every human being he ever met. If anyone claims to met, meet him, to have met him without being changed, he has not met him at all. When you touch him, you touch lightning. But why is this so? What is it about Jesus that so upended and startled people? Well, in this episode, we'll explore a core harvest fruit in the heart of Jesus, something so other than how we typically relate to one another that we we know it must be indicative of life in the kingdom of God, which is Jesus's home culture. Um, so Jesus's home culture, the kingdom of God, is often at odds with the culture that we've created as human beings on, on earth. So Jesus's mission is to embody that kingdom of God, to model it for us, so that as his disciples, we begin to walk and talk the way he does. The, we, we start to live in the kingdom of God more than we live in the kingdom of the world. Uh, it doesn't mean that we are uh, living in a bubble. It means that we live by the, by the values and behavior patterns and inclinations and intentions and priorities of the kingdom of God. So this harvest fruit that I'm talking about that really is at the core of his heart is called differentiation. Differentiation. I want us to listen to a short video that describes how differentiation works in a leadership environment. And I'm going to give you the link to this video on the episode page, this episode page on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. Again, this is season six, episode seven. So I'll put the link 
um, on the page for you so you can go watch it yourself. But we could also listen to it. And that's what we're going to do now. And hopefully uh, you'll be able to follow along um, as we do. Um, this is uh, one of those videos that um, uses uh, sort of uh, drawing and animation to describe something that is complicated. So let's give a listen to Edwin Friedman's uh, theory of differentiated leadership. Edwin Friedman, as you, if you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about him before. He's the author of a book called A Failure of Nerve, which is the single most life-changing non-Christian book I've ever read. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is a deep and thick read, but so practical also at the same time. And it will upend the way you think about your life and your relationships and um, really all of what Friedman talks about in that book uh, uh, orbits around differentiation. And the way he describes what that looks like has always reminded me of Jesus, though he never uses Jesus as his example. It's always reminded me of Jesus. So let's, let's listen to this explanation of Edwin Friedman's theory of differentiated a group of individuals leadership. to accomplish a common goal, whether that goal is to design a fuel-efficient car respond to an international military crisis, or find a new company health plan. Now, there are many different ideas out there about how to become an effective leader. Some suggest that leaders must have certain traits, such as intelligence or self-confidence, sociability, maybe even being tall. Others say it's about technique or skill that leaders can acquire. But in a failure of nerve, the late Edwin Friedman goes against the grain of leadership studies and suggests that effective leadership is not about traits or skills as much as it is an emotional process of regulating one's own anxiety. He refers to this process as self-differentiation or knowing where one ends and another begins. This is a systems perspective on leadership rooted in cell biology. Take this healthy biological cell. It has a nucleus, which controls the activity of the cell. It has these mitochondria floating around here, and it has a cell membrane, which keeps the cell separate from other cells when they hang out together to form biological tissue, like this heart. This heart cell is differentiated. It knows its purpose is to pump blood. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom. despite what these uppity brain cells may think. Boom, 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 boom. Not only are we humans made up of these cells, we function like them. We also form ourselves into groups, whether these are families, companies, or nations. Like an individual cell, a differentiated person can stay connected to others without losing his or her identity, or without taking on the emotional anxiety of the group. A differentiated leader can take a well-defined stand, even when followers disagree, while remaining connected in a meaningful way with others. Now, here's the deal. Some people in these organizations are poorly differentiated, and they act like viruses. 
Viruses do not have a nucleus or a core organizing principle, so they cannot exist on their own. Rather, they look for other poorly differentiated cells that are easy to latch onto. Well, this may look like harmless workplace gossip, but what they are doing is infecting the organization with their anxiety. They cannot handle one-on-one -on -one conflict with another person, so they attempt to rope in a third person, thinking this will lessen the anxiety. This is what Friedman calls emotional triangles. And if you are the one being roped in or triangled, it's so tempting to enmesh yourself with the drama. It's even flattering. Hey, you are being asked to help out in a situation, so this person must really trust you. But don't do it. Don't get triangled, because this only leads to getting stuck and only results in more anxiety in the system. And the infection spreads. And worse, it's bad for you. Friedman says that the chief cause of stress and burnout is not overworking like we all think, but getting stuck in other people's problems or getting triangled. But the differentiated leader is like the emotional immune system of an organization. By being a non-anxious presence, differentiated leaders resist being triangled, which influences others to take responsibility for themselves. This is very counterintuitive to those of us who are used to chronically anxious organizations. But Friedman says that differentiated leaders are able to tolerate other people's discomfort because this encourages them to take personal responsibility. In the long run, the differentiated leader's presence has the effect of diffusing the anxiety in the organization, allowing it to develop and function in a healthy way. Now, about sabotage. Some organizational systems are chronically anxious. In other words, they have a lot of people who are poorly differentiated. Such an organization will be threatened by the presence of a differentiated leader because, in a way, this upsets the way things have always been, or the homeostasis of the organization. So the chronically anxious organization will inevitably turn on the differentiated leader. But according to Friedman, Sabotage is a sign that the leader is doing the right thing, and it's the leader's non-anxious response to such sabotage that defines the differentiated leader. This, he says, is the key to the kingdom of effective leadership. The beauty of this approach to leadership is that it applies to anyone at any leadership level, whether you are, as Friedman says, a parent or a president. Finally, differentiated leadership is not a static condition. None of us arrives completely at this place. Rather, differentiated leadership is a direction in life, a direction toward maturity. And the only way we can get moving in that direction is to take care of ourself. Or as Jesus of Nazareth said, to love your neighbor as you love your 
self. All right, there you go. Uh, Edwin Friedman's differentiated leadership. I hope that made sense to you. Uh, it essentially means that we operate like a healthy cell in our body. We have a strong core nucleus, so, uh, something that at the center of us that holds everything together. This, <clears throat> for me, by the way, changed radically about 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and when I went from sort of following and practicing the tips and techniques of the Christian life to uh, being overwhelmed by and drawn by the beauty of Jesus primarily and responded to his invitation to make him the center of everything I do in my life. Um, when that happened, everything simplified in my life. It didn't mean that my life got easier, but it, it certainly got more cohesive and clear. I knew what my, my uh, heart's purpose in life was and is. So a healthy cell has that strong core, um, stable center. And then the, the uh, cell walls are strong enough to not allow uh, viruses to infect it, um, meaning undifferentiated people who try to draw you into their anxiety, um, sort of making their work be your work, um, that a differentiated person is able to be compassionate and engaged with those people, but not uh, let down their boundaries, not fuzz up the difference between me and you. So uh, if Jesus is trying to plant and nurture and invite us into the kingdom of God so that it becomes our native culture as well, so how does he go about planting a desire for differentiation in us and maybe a pathway into it in our hearts? Because he is the prime example of a differentiated person. The closer we get to him, um, the more we become like him and the more we become ourselves. And when we become ourselves more fully, we are becoming more differentiated. So I thought it'd be interesting for us to explore an encounter that Jesus has with Peter and look for how he is trying to help set the stage for differentiation in Peter. So this scripture passage is from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. So what we're going to do here is we're going to read the story, and then we're going to ask some questions about how Jesus is defining and modeling differentiation in this story. So, so now that you have a kind of at least a bare understanding of what differentiation does and looks like, let's explore this story from Matthew 16, 21 through 28. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus turned and said to his disciples, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, let's take a look at this story. First question is, how is Jesus modeling differentiation? You could also say, how is he defining differentiation and, and why? But how is he modeling it here? So let's, let's first look at anxiety in this story. Jesus first tells his disciples something real. He's trying to be kind to them so that they're not shocked by what's about to happen. And it's important to him that they, that they know something about what's to happen because they're going to need to persist, especially through those three days and nights uh, after his crucifixion. They're going to need to persist in hope that what Jesus is saying here is going to happen, that he's going to be raised from the dead, though he's, though he's been put to death. Um, and that his life will go on and their mission will go on. He needs them to, he needs to plant the seed in them now that this is what's going to happen so that they will persist through the extreme challenge they're about to go through. So he tells them the truth. I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. Peter, this is not surprising that Peter would do this because Peter has all along told Jesus that he will go down with his ship. He's not going to let anything happen to him. He's sort of Jesus's protector. I guess you could say that. Um, he believes in, G in what Jesus is about, and he cannot conceive how uh, Jesus being put to death will help in any way this expanding mission. So Jesus, uh, I mean, Peter, uh, brave and headstrong as he is, takes Jesus aside and reprimands him. He says, heaven forbid, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. And this is one of Peter's um, uh, sort of typical uh, alpha male promises. Um, this is not going to happen to you if I have anything to do with it. So you can see Peter's anxiety, his, his the churning emotions he has inside. Um, you could you could translate um, what he's saying and doing here as uh, powerful, courageous loyalty. Um, I'm for you, Jesus. I'm going to go down with your ship. Uh, don't worry. I'm going to fight for you. Uh, all these things, all these anxious and churning things that Peter is saying to Jesus right now, you could interpret them as an invitation to accept them. But here, Jesus uh, is displaying his differentiation in kind of a stark way. He, he turns face to face to Peter, looks him in the eye and says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. What is the dangerous trap? The dangerous trap is for Jesus to be co-opted, influenced by, joined to Peter's anxiety. Of course, Jesus is already thinking about what's in front of him, 
And here, one of his closest friends is saying, this is not going to happen to you. And think about the temptation in this moment to go with that, to, to join Peter's sort of uh, unhealthy uh, anxiety in this moment. It is not missional. Jesus has come to die and then to be resurrected, to defeat death forever and invite us into a lifelong relationship, an eternal relationship with God himself. And that mission has to be completed for the relationship between human beings and God to be restored. So Jesus looks him in the face and says, get away from me, Satan. How much more differentiated could you be? <laughs> Don't press on my boundaries the way you are. You are a dangerous trap to me. Yeah, you ever feel like this that in the, in the uh, audio example we had of, of Friedman's uh, definition of differentiation? Um, one of the examples they gave was at a workplace when somebody gossips. And you, you ever feel the magnetic pull of that gossip the, the, to be on the inside of the story, to know the details? And it's, it's magnetic, isn't it? But you're drawn into a triangular relationship when that happens, right? So let's say somebody tells you some juicy gossip about somebody you know, that you work closely with at work. Now you know something about that person and they don't know you know, right? And that begins to infect and affect your relationship with that third person. You're now in a triangular relationship because your boundaries were lowered and you joined into another's um, story in not a healthy way. So that's the trap that Jesus is talking about here. The, it, Peter is inviting Jesus in a way to enter into a story that he doesn't belong in. <laughs> Peter's narrative is not God's narrative around this. And so the temptation there is for Jesus to join that narrative instead of the narrative he's been given from his father. So he, Jesus adds, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So he's saying, Peter, you're just seeing this on the surface. You're not seeing what where, where this is headed. You're not trusting God's narrative here. And then, because this encounter is played out in the context of his disciples, he knows that he needs to tell something to his disciples. He needs to use this moment to, to mark something important for them. So he turns to his disciples and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. So here Jesus is saying um, his invitation is to detach from the source of the life that they have right now. Think of this as the moment that Jesus says, um, you're going to need to stop being flowers um, arranged in a vase of water, and you'll need to be planted in the soil of my heart because the life that you're drawing from the water that you're planted in right now will not give you life. You're going to have to give up life as cut flowers in a vase full of water and take up your cross, which means to detach yourself 
from the source of life that you currently have and follow me, meaning replant yourself in me. And he says, if you try to hang on to your life, meaning if you try to hang on to the, what, the life that you feel like you're experiencing as cut flowers in a water vase, you're going to lose it because that life won't last. But if you give up your life, if you extract yourself from that vase and replant yourself in the soil of my heart, you will save your life. You will save your life because the soil in my heart will give you eternal life. It will be a constant source of life in your life. And here he adds, uh, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? He's saying, you know, what do you benefit if you're pretty for a little while in that vase, but in the end you, you die, you lose, you lose your ability to, to keep bringing beauty into the world. Is anything worth more than your soul? Another way of saying that is it any, is anything more important than planting your roots in soil? No, <laughs> for the flowers to keep growing, you have to be in soil. So how is Jesus defining differentiation here and why? Well, it's a wonderful two-part story here. He's defining differentiation by saying, you're trying to pressure and invite me into a story and a narrative and a, um, a mission and a strategy that is not what I'm called to, and it's not true, and it's, and it's not ultimately an expression of love because my mission is love. So you're trying to invite me into something toxic, Peter. And differentiation looks like no. And in this case, he says, get away from me. You're a dangerous trap to me. He calls out the undifferentiated Peter and says, I'm not going there. He's firm about it. So here, differentiation simply means, um, it, to use Friedman's term, Jesus maintains his, his non-anxious presence. He's being invited into, uh, to cross over his boundaries, to set, set down his boundaries, to blur his boundaries, and uh, leave behind his God-given mission so that he can join in the narrative that Peter is living in. And it's an undifferentiated uh, narrative. We'll soon find that out because all of this stuff that Peter has been saying, it melts away in the, uh, uh, the courtyard of, of um, uh, is it Caiaphas? I think it's Caiaphas's courtyard. I hope I'm remembering that right. When Jesus is being interrogated before his crucifixion and Peter's uh, warming his hands by the fire and he denies he even knows Jesus three times. So his undifferentiated narrative just melts away in the face of a little girl there. And then his, his disaster, his destruction is deep indeed. He slinks away into the darkness and we don't see him again until after the resurrection. It must've been very dark times because Peter, what Peter thought was his identity, what Peter thought was his mission in life, what Peter thought about himself has now been destroyed and it didn't take much to do it. And after the resurrection, when Jesus meets Peter on the beach again and asks him three times if he loves him, and every time Peter responds, yes, uh, he gets more agitated. So here Jesus is surfacing that false identity from him uh, on purpose. But each time he says to Peter, go and feed my sheep. And 
uh, at the end of this, the third time he, he asks this, Peter's very upset. And he says, you know, I love you. What a declaration. He's now reclaimed his true identity. And it's not tied to his own narrative. Now he's tied to the narrative of Jesus. You'll see now Peter going forth, doing what Jesus intends, how Jesus sees things need to go, not how he does. What he has done here is he's given up his own life, given up his own way. He's extracted himself from that vase full of water, and now he's planted himself in the soil of Jesus. Now there is something centrally true and solid at the nucleus of Peter. And now his boundaries, which were fluid before, are strong. What Jesus has done has, is move Peter from this place of undifferentiated, um, sort of chaotic um, living, where he, he lives by his gut, basically, to a place where Peter now has a solid core center to him. And we see what that produces in the book of Acts as, as the church of Jesus Christ gets planted. And Peter shows up in the temple square with thousands of people in the, in the temple and announces the kingdom of God has come and points his finger at the very people who've just killed Jesus and said, you're the ones who killed him. And he is the Messiah. He, he's bold. He does everything he thought his identity was but couldn't do before. Now he can, because his identity, identity has been solidified as he has given up his own way and taken up his own cross, replanted himself from the water he was, he was drinking in that would never lead to life, and replanted himself in the soil of Jesus. So what will it cost the disciples that Jesus is talking to here to begin living a more differentiated life in the way Jesus is, describes? Well, it's the same cost that we face. We determine what the source of our life is. And if it isn't planted in the soil of Jesus' heart, we uproot ourselves. We give up our own way. We take up our cross. We pluck our flowers out of that vase. And we replant ourselves in the soil of Jesus. What will the cost be? Uh, it, temporarily, it will feel excruciating because we are giving up the very things that we have come to trust as our sources of life. But those sources of life aren't really sources of life, and we know it somewhere deep inside. We're worried. We're anxious about the sources of life we're drawing on. Is it our financial health? Is it our physical health? Is it our uh, healthy relationships around us? Is it the job we have? Is it the position we hold? Is it the way others esteem us? We have this sneaking suspicion that none of those ways really give life in the end. So we uproot ourselves and we replant ourselves in the soil of Jesus. Um, so the question is, how are you advancing on this path to differentiation in your life right now? Because as the, as the audio recording we listened to said, it, this is a journey, not a destination. No one ever becomes fully differentiated in this life. Only Jesus was the fully differentiated person. We, only, we have him as our only example of what that really looks like. And if you read the story of Jesus through the lens of differentiation, you will see what a differentiated person looks like. His differentiation helps to explain all of the inexplicable ways he relates to people. 
because he was both attached, compassionate, fiercely for people, but he never allowed um, their anxiety to become his anxiety. Um, he was always moving toward them with a non-anxious presence. So giving up your own way, well, what will that look like in your life? Um, and what does hanging on to your life and losing your life really mean in your life? Well, that's something you're going to have to to work out in your life. Uh, you'll, you will begin to know what that looks like. But um, I thought it would be interesting to close off here with just uh, a short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the role of differentiation in the body. So using the, this lens of differentiation, this might help you to think about what this means for you going forward. So think about insights that you have into your own differentiation as I read this passage from 1 Corinthians 12. Here's Paul writing, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, we're all planted in the same soil of the heart of Jesus. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts are, do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Do you see here the, the repetition of boundary here, that we're all planted in the same soil, but we're all differentiated from each other. We have our own distinct role. And the, the only downside to a, a, a body, or perhaps the only unhealthy sign that, that of a body, is when these parts lose their differentiation, and they start trying to be an ear when they're actually an eye, for instance. So our mission in life is to embrace and understand um, and accept the part of the body that we are and live it to its fullest while celebrating the roles of the other parts of the body. And, and even suffering with those parts of the body when they're suffering. This is what it looks like to live differentiated, 1 Corinthians 12. So as, as we uh, close off here, uh, let's loop back to the most important thing. The most important focus of our life is what source of life are we attached to? And if we are right now attached to sources of life that will not persist, that will not ultimately give us an ongoing 
uh, influx of life, then we have to give up our own way. And we give up our own way because Jesus wants us to have life and abundant life. All right. If you want to see a link to that video I t uh, we listened to before, you just need to go to painridiculousattentiontojesus.com and look for season six, episode 24. You can find it there and watch it if you want to. It's a concept I think is very important for us as followers of Jesus to understand because we'll understand him better when we do. So I encourage you to go there and click on the link and watch it. This is, again, Pain Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from ricklawrence.com. You can subscribe on Google Play or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you again next time.